Welcome to the Groundswell Podcast, produced by Faith First. With so much division in our world right now, we want to give people a resource to help us navigate the divisiveness. We believe there's a better way to live that allows us to not get caught up in division. We believe that when we put our faith first and divisive topics second, we can cross over divides to build unity and understanding with those around us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll keep coming back for more. Live faith first. Welcome to the Live Faith First podcast. I'm Elliot Sands and I'm with Alan Fadling. He is a speaker, consultant, spiritual director, and author of numerous books, including Unhurried Leader and An Unhurried Life, and the book we will spend some time discussing today, A Non-Anxious Life. So Alan, thank you for joining the Live Faith First podcast. Well, I appreciate you inviting me, Elliot. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation um, obviously, anxiety is something we, we all uh, deal with and have dealt with a lot in the last number of years. But uh, before we get into all of that, give us a cliff notes of your life. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, how you, where you got where you're at right now. Just give us some cliff notes. Yeah. So maybe the simplest thing to do is just to be, say, in terms of faith, I didn't grow up in a particularly religious home, grew up in Northern California, uh, but it was a friend who was in Young Life. And it was early Christian artists like uh, Keith Green and Randy Stonehill and Phil Kage who kind of hooked me in and grabbed my attention and led me into a life of faith in Jesus that began, oh golly, 40 some years ago. And, you know, most of my adult life, I've been a pastor, 20 of those in the local church, and then the last 20 more so kind of shepherding shepherds, pastoring pastors, uh, and then writing and doing some other things. My wife and I met and married up in Northern California almost 39 years ago, Congrats. and we have three adult sons now. And uh, so that's a little bit about me. I don't know if that answers enough. Yeah, yeah. no, that's great. That is great. Um, let's dig into the book a little bit. Now, again, name of the book is a Living a Non-Anxious Life. Um experiencing the peace of God's presence. And I mentioned that I was going to be recording this to a friend uh, talk, a podcast about anxiety. And he's like, Oh dude, nobody's going to connect with that at all. You know, that is going to be <laughs> yeah. a super clunker. Right. And uh, so <laughs> this is something that we've all deal dealt with. It, it, it has become ever present. And I think maybe more so for some than others, but uh, now, this yeah. might be like explaining how a guitar works to Jimi Hendrix, but <laughs> would you please explain anxiety to us? What is it? How does it live itself out in our lives? Well, maybe the best way I can uh, do that is to share my own journey, you know, with anxiety. So rather than like a dictionary description, let me give you a working description of, of it. And yeah. for me, the simplest way to say it is it's, Anxiety is what my caring looks like when God's caring isn't much in the picture. Mm. So when my caring sort of expands and expands and expands, and now I feel like I'm the only one who cares, I'm the only one who can care, uh, it all rests on me. And uh, yeah, I know the Bible says something about the Lord's my shepherd, but but that's maybe that's nice for the Bible, but I'm not sure how I'm connecting with that personally. Mm. So that anxiety as care minus God is kind of my my shorthand description of what it's like for me. So the irony is sometimes anxiety has par paralyzed me. I felt absolutely stuck and immobilized. 
<clears throat> Sometimes anxiety is sort of uh, made me run and want to run and hide just this escapist uh, impulse. And then sometimes in ministry, especially anxiety has driven a lot of what I did. Yeah. I tried to work out my anxiety through the work of ministry. I kind of went to the people I served, hoping they'd do something or give me something that would help deal with this anxiety I had. Maybe another good sermon, Pastor Allen, or man, I sure love that program, Pastor Allen. Maybe that would deal with my anxiety. The last thing I'll say is, one of the things I had to come to grips with writing this book is I realized I imagined my anxiety as an asset when mm. Jesus was calling it a liability. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. And I hope to dig into that more a little bit later, kind of what that looks like. Um, what have been some of your responses? You talk a little bit about maybe pleasing people or doing enough that like it'll kind of take it away. But in the book, you talk a little bit about numbing. Can you talk yeah. about numbing, how we use numbing as a way to kind of overcome our anxieties? Sure. Well, I think even maybe as a bigger category, we use numbing in all kinds of ways to counterfeit rest. Mm -hmm. So specifically, and we're talking about finding some rest, some peace, some relief from our anxiety. But just more generally, I think we've gotten many of us into the habit of numbing to approximate rest. But of course, being anesthetized is not the same as being refreshed. And uh, while I'm a big fan of numbing when it comes to dental work, I just don't think it's a great life strategy. And the fact is, if you numb your anxiety, you end up numbing everything else. And a lot of those everything else's are things you don't want numb. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I think that was a lot of experience. I mean, just talking about coming out of COVID. Now we are, you know, three, four, I guess we're coming up on the four year anniversary of, of, of the lockdown here in another month or so. Um, yeah. We're recording this uh, early mid February. Um, yeah. And just how during that season, alcohol use went up. Um, you know, I, I don't know how streaming services did, but I know in our home, you know, that the, the, we were, we were on all of them, and uh, that was kind yes. of ever present, uh, kind of that escapist um, attitude. What, what's the in your experience? What happens to our productivity, our creativity, our forward movement as we choose to numb, whether it's numb rather than address, or you know, numb to, um, yeah, again, just take our mind off of it. What? What would you say are some of the kind of the, the negative impacts of that kind of? Yeah. Well, you know, as I said a minute ago, um, the problem with numbing anxiety or anything else unpleasant in our experience is everything else goes numb too. You can't, it's not localized. Yeah. It's general yeah. anesthesia, right? Mm -hmm. And so what then happens is your creativity gets numb and your discernment gets numb and your genuine care for others right alongside the care of anxiety, it all goes numb. Yeah. And so what you can do instead of numbing when it comes to anxiety or other unpleasant uh, feelings or you know thought patterns is you can learn to translate that into prayer. And, you know, of course we say prayer and you know, maybe uh, someone will think, okay, prayer, yeah, me saying words to God. Yeah, that's part of what prayer is. 
Absolutely. But maybe getting a little deeper into that, what you could do with your anxiety, for example, is you could learn to translate that into a conversation with God. You could lean into it and engage it. One of my counselors said to me more than once, Alan, your anxiety is energy. You're just pointing it in the wrong direction. Mm. Uh, you're, you're not using it well. You could use it better. Uh, instead of trying to get rid of anxiety, instead of trying to kick it out of the car, what you might want to do is put it in the back seat. Don't let it have the steering wheel and take it with you. Because again, it's energy. It's just misguided, misdirected uh, energy. And I found that really helps me. Um, I still get really nervous before I speak somewhere. But now I look at that feeling and instead of thinking, here is evidence, I'm going to suck. <laughs> instead of that, what I'm more likely to think is, here is evidence that I really care about this. And maybe these feelings, and unpleasant as they feel to me, are a sign that I'm about to do something good. And I may well help the people I'm about to share these thoughts with. Yeah. So part of it, part of it is instead of numbing, it's engaging, it's reinterpreting, it's restoring these feelings. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about you touched on it there, but that that doomsday worst case scenario, brain spinning into something that it often doesn't play out the way we're imagining it will. Um, I mean, it, my wife and I joke all the time when we talk about meeting new people and it's like, oh, we got to do this today. And the, the joke for us is always when that is over, we always look at each other like, yeah, that was kind of fun. Or, hey, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Or, you know, but every time it's like, oh, my goodness, we have to do this. So talk yes. you know, a little bit about that worst case scenario in relation to anxiety and some of those things. So this may be a good point to say having worries, having anxieties, that's human. I Maybe I thought I'd write this book and I'd find some plateau of peace where never again would I feel anxious. Never found that spot. At least on this side of heaven, I don't know if that spot exists. But what you can do is not worry about your worry. It's what we add to the feelings of worry, the racing thoughts of worry. It's our interpretation and, and our uh, our storying of our worries that causes us trouble. So I call anxiety largely a false prophet in my experience. And it, being in my 60s now, I have a lot of history. I, If I let myself, I can look back and say, oh, yeah, I remember when anxiety said this to me when that horrible thing happened or that big surprise hit that I really didn't like. Man, was it wrong. It was really off. And so, you know, I realize as I look back, you know, if you'd have looked at my life and the way I listened to my anxiety, you'd have thought I considered it a wonderful counselor instead yeah. of a false prophet. And so that has helped me when I have the feelings and have those racing thoughts and have the literal physical sensations of anxiety. I've come to say to myself, oh, that's a familiar place. I know this place. I know what this feeling is. But I don't think it's doomsday predictions are helping me because they haven't helped me so far. Yeah. They've been wrong so often. I'd be I'd do well to downsize their counsel in my plans for the near future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a, a great way of saying it. And you know, as as we journey through life, we find ourselves so often in these either in a place where we didn't 
we don't really want to be, even though we've chosen to get there. But the, the more we can be introspective of kind of what were the decisions I made along the way to get there? Or what was the voice I was listening to? Or, you know, what were the actions that I took to get in that place? And with anxiety, it's that same, there's a, there's a, there's a pattern there and it, 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 it works. And it's, you know, I mean, we're not going into brain science in our conversation today, but it is pathways we've created in our brain that have kind of led us towards the spinning mind. And when I first managed people, I tell you, like I would, and, and had to, uh, have those tough conversations with a, with a coworker the night before I would be sleepless. I would be running through every scenario of conversation and the way it would go. And then the next day I would have that conversation and it never, ever, ever, ever went the way any of the scenarios that I made up between 10 PM and 2 AM. Right. And at some point I, I, like you're saying, I said like, you know what, I'm, I'm stopping those conversations. Like I'm, I'm not going to have those anymore. (laughs) <laughs> they're not playing yes. out at all. Yes, I need to know what we're going to talk about, but I don't need to play them out a thousand different ways to anticipate every possible. So anyway, I, I love that. Now, yeah. kind of speaking around like brain pathways and so on, you're talking about how we bring God's peace into the midst of our anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um Talk a little bit about some of the ways when we bring God into our anxieties, uh, beyond recognizing that our voices is, is can be wrong at times. Um, how does that begin to change the way we view our situations, our anxieties, and so on? Well, I, I remember Dallas Willard often recommending that first line of Psalm 23 as a place of reflection. Not uh, reflection off the spot, but actually reflection right in the middle of an unpleasant surprise. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have paraphrased that in more ways than I can count. Uh, I'm remembering a time I'm standing in the uh, entryway of John Wayne Airport here in Orange County. I am preparing to fly to a remote part of India, and it will be taking off in 30 minutes, and I do not have my wallet. I have left my wallet at home. My home is 20 minutes away. There will be no going to get my wallet and coming back. And I will just tell you, my body and my emotions and my head were awash in anxiety, probably adrenaline too, but anxiety. And yeah. one of the things that happens with all of that is usually if it's that strong, your, your frontal lobe, your intelligent brain just shuts off and you become lizard man. You know, I mean, it's like pure instincts. That's what happened to me. But I had been in the habit for a little while at that point of when something like that happened, something unpleasant surprised me. The Lord is my shepherd, hmm. shall not want. Or God is shepherding me right now. And then I would p- put it this way. And this is probably going to turn out better than I'm currently assuming. The minute I said that, I had gotten into enough of a habit with that little reflection that I was able to, the, the brain came back online, always a good thing. <laughs> And just immediately I had this very simple thought. Well, I've got my passport, so I'm okay on ID. I mean, I needed a visa. There's no India if I don't have my passport. Wallet. My wife is 10 minutes from the airport. I can call her. I can use her credit card. Done. Like like that. But there were times in the past where something like that might have so flattened me. I, I, I wouldn't have known what to do. 
Yeah. I love that simple in the moment practice. God, you are with me now. You are caring for me now. You will provide for me now. This has not surprised you. Like any number of ways of rehearsing that helps quite literally address what my emotions and my thoughts and my physical sensations are screaming at me in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's good. We'll talk a little bit more about practices as we kind of close this, this, this uh, conversation out. Uh, I, 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 I love that. That is the worst sinking feeling though, right? Where you're at the airport and you're like, how did oh, I forget? No. You know, or you, 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 you know, it, it, yes. And, and there's any of a number of things that that can come around. Um, few areas of anxiety that often get us. So I'm going to kind of go, you know, through two or three here and love you to respond on, on how using God's word or, bringing peace into those, but let's go with anxiety around our future. Uh, the future yes, is up in the air. We see, you know, job reports coming in saying that, that, that jobs are being created. I live in Silicon Valley and there's a lot of layoffs going on right now. Right. So there's yes. just always uncertainty around our future. Talk a little bit about anxiety in our future, like looking towards our future and what that looks like, how we address that. Yes. So being concerned for our future, human, natural, of course, especially, you know, when we see certain current events, you know, I'm in my 60s, I'm starting to ask myself, am I as well prepared for retirement as I thought I was? Uh, I could worry about that if I wanted. The thing, you know, Jesus says is don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough concerns of its own. So one of the things I want to say about our future is we can plan for our future, We can work on things now that impact our future. Worrying about our future doesn't help the future, also doesn't help the present. And so being able to differentiate, again, we're back to how can I redirect these thoughts and feelings that are arising in me into something that's productive and fruitful and good now. Um, And one of the things can be praying. One of them can be taking good action. I've, I've sometimes envisioned, you know, my worries each day is like a block. And so tomorrow's worries are a block and uh, the next day's worries are a block and streaming out into the future is a series of blocks. But what my worry does is it takes the block from a week from now and puts it on today. And then it takes the block for tomorrow and puts it on today. Then, of course, I'm worried about it months from now. So I put that block on today. And now suddenly, instead of a block of worries today, I got a pile of worries today. most of which don't involve today. Yeah. So it has helped me to just take Jesus as literally as he says it. I, I, my worrying about tomorrow is utterly fruitless. It does not change things. So I, I, instead I'll do what I can do today, but worrying about tomorrow today is empty and doesn't help. Yeah. I love that. And what I hear you not saying is, you know, well, don't have a 401k, you know, or, 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 right. <laughs> or don't go to school. So you're ready for a career that will provide you with a salary. Like I don't hear you saying that. What I do hear you saying is you can't get your college degree today, but if you have no. a paper due in your science class due tomorrow, then that you need to work on today. And then you pile you those blocks up and you will have your degree. You will, you know, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, you will have your career. Um, yeah. you, 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 you can't fill up your 401k in one day, 
if you could, that would be awesome. Nope. We would love sure. that. But uh, most of the time, it takes one deposit out of each paycheck to get to the point where you find yourself at an age with enough that you're like, okay, I think I can make it the rest of the way. Now, in that yes. passage that you're you're quoting there, um, Jesus takes that and when he's talking about worry and he starts talking about nature, right? You know, look at the birds, look at the yep. flower, like flowers, they're there today, gone tomorrow, and they're dressed way better than Solomon ever was, right? Or the birds, hey, look at them. They're out there, you know, toiling, and but they don't have a care in the world, it seems like, and God loves them, how much more he loves you. Would you talk a little bit about how you kind of bring nature, I'm going to say, into peace, fighting anxiety, some of those things? Yeah. Yeah. I love the way Jesus just very simply talks about worry in that Sermon on the Mount passage. So he says, don't worry. And sometimes in the past, I've imagined like he's, his brow was furrowed and he was kind of pointing his finger and he was telling me, knock that off. You quit that. You That worrying, knock it off. And I just don't think that's the spirit of the passage at all. I think he's saying, you know, you, you, you really don't have to. Yeah. I mean, it, how's it working for you anyway? Has it actually helped? Look at the birds, right? And here just recently, you and I are both in California. We had sort of a day here in Orange County where in two days we got a third of our year's rain from a single storm. And I'm literally on a radio interview looking out my sliding door at a lineup of bird feeders in the midst of the, that deluge, right? My phone is telling me flood warning. And the birds are just having breakfast. Like <laughs> nothing's happening. Like not a care in the world. And I'm telling you, I that's why I have feeders outside my office window here. Because I can literally, it's like Jesus isn't just offering an object lesson. He is literally inviting me to, some, to something to do. I will look out and I will see yet again, they are cared for. Yeah. And if a bird that's here one day and a year or two or three later is not here anymore, if that bird is well cared for, maybe I can rest in the care of God. Maybe I can do good work in the care of God, whatever the good work of today is. So I love that image of, you know, here are these birds. They're not doing the normal things you and I do would do to take care of ourselves, work and save and store and all that. And God's even caring for them. Yeah. Maybe God will care for us too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love those images. And, and I think it's in Luke where he says, you can't even change the color of your hair. Like by worrying. <laughs> yeah. You can't make, right? yeah. <laughs> Such a simple thing as making a gray hair dark, right? You, you can't do that now. Well, you know, hair dye will do amazing things, but it's still gray under there. Believe it or not, under the dye, yeah, it's still yeah. actually a gray and hair. And thinking about my gray hair does not change it much. No, right. Yeah. Right. In fact, it's making it worse, to be honest with you. It's giving us, you know, anxiety is giving us more gray hair. Um, we can bring anxiety into, and I, I love the furrow brow example you give. And, and, and maybe even Jesus was, Having a, had a super compassionate voice of, you know, you, you don't have to worry. Like, I got this, you know, and, it, you know, worry about today. Look at the birds. Look at that, right? But if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, and depending on what tradition you grew up in, you might carry some anxiety around pleasing God, some anxiety around, does God look on us with 
pleasure? Does God look on us with a furrowed brow? Does he look on us with, ah, my son died on the cross? You owe so me. You're, you owe me or you're in, but I'm still kind of disappointed in you. Like, that's the one that I carry around. Like, you're good. Like, come into, but like, keep, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wagging my finger at you in disappointment, but you are in the family. Yeah. Would you talk a little bit? And that's, for me, that's the heavy yoke. That's a heavy yoke that, that we like to carry around because God will be happy if I serve him well enough or if I tithe and been generous enough or if and fill in the religious practice. Um, would you talk about heavy, heavy yoke, light yoke in relation to anxiety and our relationship with God? Yeah. yeah. I love that image of a yoke, you know, that comes at least in one place in uh, a passage where Jesus is talking to weary and burdened people and saying, you know, if you came to me, I could show you how to rest. And then his strategy for rest is a yoke. I'm sorry, a yoke is for work, not for rest, at least it just at its bald surface level. Yeah. What I think is restful about the yoke Jesus offers is he wants to wants to show us a way of living that is restful. What I've realized is often what makes the yoke of my own life and my own work heavier is my own anxiety added to what I'm trying to do. Like, I don't think the yoke God gives us is easy because he just gives us a couple things to do and that's it. I think he wants to entrust a robust and meaningful opportunity of collaboration with him. But he'd like to help us do it from a place of peace. And so Jesus' ability to be at peace in situations that would provoke profound anxiety in me shows me that he knows how to do this, and he knows how to show us how to live and do our work from a place of peace. One of the things I said in the book is I realized that I thought of my anxiety as a kind of asset, a kind of fuel. Like, I was afraid that if I didn't have my anxiety, I wouldn't get much done. Hmm. which is a goofy thing to say. What I had to wrestle as I wrote the book was, is anxiety, if anxiety's fuel, then it's fuel that burns dirty. Hmm. My 20s and 30s, maybe it drove me to high standards. 40s, some still. 50s, now 60s, not so much. It is fuel that has burnt dirty. Peace gives me access to green energy, if you want to use that metaphor. Yeah. Hope, joy, Love, these are holy kingdom sources of power and strength and energy that are sustainable. And uh, I would, and I'm learning they are better sources of energy than my anxiety ever was. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely true. And in, in, in that, and, and I, you talk about this some in the book, that idea that our successes will come from ourself and our hard work and our maybe anxiety around it R rather than realizing that the vast majority of our successes are going to come from God being in the midst of it, from God empowering it, from God pushing it forward. And I, and I yes, most certainly in the church Christian realm, but I think it goes well beyond that. Um, into all, all of our careers and and how we parent and 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 in our parenting and in our marriages and those types of things that there are some places where 
I think by the power of Elliot, I'm going to have a great marriage. And though I had definitely have a big part to do in (laughs) the success of my marriage, I also realize that it's also by the grace of God that's put Penny and myself together. And by the grace of God, we figured out how to do this over, you know, 20 plus years now. And so um, when we put the weight of the success of our work on our own shoulders, yes, uh, you're 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 asking for anxiety because you're you're saying that all positive or negative results, either positive results are from me, and the negative results are because I'm a failure. Um, and 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 it's in my experience is not quite that black and white. <laughs> failure doesn't mean that you know not working out doesn't make you a failure, and succeeding doesn't also make you a success sometimes, right? Like like you know that's right. Anyway. Um, but when we carry those things, those anxieties tend to grow when, um, when, when we're, when we want to carry those, um, many years ago, I was, uh, was in sales, tech sales, and I had one of my distributors come to me and she says, why aren't you stressed out? It was getting your quarter end. And that mm. was the point where we're always getting like, okay, how many units will you take and where can we place those? And, and just, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a big stressful season. And she would say, Elliot, why are you not, why aren't you stressed out? Like the reps from the other manufacturers are stressed out right now. Why aren't you stressed out? And I, <laughs> I would just kind of say, well, I, I trust that God's going to do this. Now I, I was clearly, I was at their office. I was working, I was making calls. I was getting stuff done. It wasn't even a matter right. of like, that. I was just, taking a nap every afternoon, but to carry into this, I'll be honest with you, the success of hard drive sales, even that's not on me. Like, like I trust, I actually believe that God's going to give favor at your customers and with you guys as well. So, you know, even in, in that arena, it's trusting that, you know, God better be in this. If he's not in this, I'm, yeah. I, I'm most certainly in trouble. So, Well, uh, and to me, this brings us back to the yoke. Yeah, I imagined that the yoke was, at some points earlier on, I imagined the yoke was a thing Jesus was holding in his arms. Then he tossed it over to me, and it landed in my arms. And now I'm taking up my yoke, and I'm wandering around trying to get this thing done. I think the metaphor that Jesus meant to invite us to was, he's in a yoke. There's an empty spot here. I'd love for you to join me here. Let's do this together. That is restful. And if that's true, then in that yoke, I'm not the one carrying the heavy end. Right. I'm the student. I'm the learner. I'm the collaborator. I'm with the master, with the expert, with the one who knows what he's doing. That's true even all the way down to my job description. And that is a restful way to live and a restful way to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Let's talk about some practices that you've implemented that have that have helped you. Um, that are something yep. that's kind of easy stuff for people to pick up. So, um, I, I'm a big sports fan, and of course, my 49ers lost on Sunday. So there was there, there was moments of <clears throat> brief, but still moments of, of sorrow and depression. Uh, but it's a new day today. But my point <laughs> in that is, is <laughs> you know, 
Football teams, sports teams, people who are successful are practicing before the game. When there's no pressure of the clocks running, the refs are on the field, they're there running through things. And so to some degree, we can't wait till anxiety shows up and then fight it. We actually have to fight it before that so that when you get to the airport and you forget your wallet, you go, the Lord is my shepherd I guess I'm not going to be in once. So, Lord, what are you going to do with this, right? So, we'll talk a little bit about what are some of the practices that we can do that put us in a place so that when those stressful things happen, we're we're in a better place to, to navigate through those. Yes. Well, so, you know, in addition to that little practice right in the middle of the moment, like when I'm right there in an unpleasant, anxious uh, situation, some of the other practices that have meant a lot to me Many of them are practices of disengagement, or Dallas Willard might have called them disciplines of abstinence, disciplines like solitude or silence, Uh, whether it's a moment, five minutes, or whether it's a chunk of time in a day. But here's what I've learned about my anxiety, and most of us never take the time to test this. Anxiety is noisy and insistent, and it seems like a gorilla. But if you wait it out, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it has very little endurance. Mm. It actually won't stay. What makes anxiety stay for a long time is where you wrestle with it and you argue with it and you engage with it. That's what keeps it energized. That's what keeps it running. Mm. I literally, one, um, one of our counselors, we were talking about the dynamic of a panic attack or an anxiety attack. And again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I don't give, you know, counsel, but I can share an experience. And that is, he said, the solution for most folks facing the reality of an anxiety or panic attack is the fact that they keep engaging the panic is what keeps the panic alive. I mean, sometimes it's literally a flow of adrenaline that won't shut off. Hmm. And one of the strategies is literally to sit down. And not engage the panic, not think about the panic, not hook into all the looping thoughts that panic wants to propose and wait it out for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. It will go quiet because your body wants to relax. That's how God made it. The problem is often we are engaging and engaging and wrestling and thinking and arguing and begging God to take it away. And all these things just keep the tap on, the adrenaline tap on or whatever, the anxiety feelings on. So I've just found that off the spot practices of solitude and silence, especially when I am in seasons where I'm tempted very easily to anxiety, I realize that it just doesn't have much stamina. It it can't stay very long unless I give it help. Yeah. And so that's been really important. The other the other the other thing I'll say is that there's a way of sort of crafting a vision of the world through the reading and the study of scripture that combats the vision of the world that anxiety wants to keep painting. And I can decide which vision makes more sense to me and which one I'd like to learn to trust. And I've realized the the dystopian vision anxiety paints of my future just hasn't uh, looked much like the actual experience I've had. Whereas Jesus' description of the kingdom I'm finding that works. It's a pretty good way to live. And I want to keep leaning into that. Yeah, that's good. Give me a little more on the silence and solitude, because 
if I'm going through an anxiety panic attack, uh, thinking about nothing seems really impossible. Yes. <laughs> it's not engaging the the feelings, the emotions, the spinning. So when you go to like, hey, I'm going to do silence. I, I feel incapable of making my brain stop thinking. What do you yes. choose to engage with instead of those thoughts of anxiety or panic or whatever it might be? That's a great question. So I have not found the switch in my brain that I can just flick and shut off an anxious thought. Never found it. Don't know where it is. Don't know how to do that. But what I have learned is I have a choice when a series of racing thoughts are running through my head. I can engage them give them attention, focus my attention there. In a sense, that's what my worry really is. It's like meditation in reverse. It's like meditation upside down. Mm. Uh, I've, mm. I've said that my worrying is really like a practice of the absence of God. <laughs> Instead of praying in solitude and silence, these practices are literally trying to practice the presence of God. So what I'm learning to do, and this only happens through you know, practice over time, is you can sit and be still and feel anxious in your body and in your emotions and have racing thoughts and just notice them. Like I grew up near the American River in Sacramento. I could ride there on my bike anytime I wanted. And I would sometimes just sit there and watch things float by rafts, inner tubes, logs, whatever. You can imagine your anxiety like the stuff floating by. You don't have to throw a line out and hook it, pull it in, look at it, examine it, you know, decide it's an ugly thing and then, you know, figure out what to do. You can let it float by. You can actually learn how to let things float by. Another metaphor I love in a, a book on quiet prayer that has been, meant a lot to me, the author says, you know, your anxieties and all those thoughts and feelings, they're like the weather that surrounds a mountain. You are not the weather. You're more like the mountain. You're rooted in Christ. You're, you're a branch in the vine. So the don't think of the weather as you. Think of it as something happening in you or around you. And there's something about that that helps, helps you just let those things float by. Because again, as I say, they don't have as much staying power. They, it feels like I'll be anxious forever. Like the level of anxiety I'm feeling in my body, in my mind, in my emotion— this is now going to last for eternity. I will never not feel this. That's what anxiety wants us to think. Yeah. But as I said, if you let it float by, if you're patient, if you're still, if you don't think about your worry, worry about your worry, but let the worry happen, let it come, let it go, you'd be surprised at how little endurance it has when you don't give it encouragement. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And... um I think that circles back to some of the stuff we've talked about when Jesus gave us those hook holds of, Hey, look at the birds. So you can sit yeah. and imagine a bird, look at a bird. Um, I was listening to your book yesterday and you started one of your chapters by just describing a morning and the birds waking up and all of that. And I had just been sitting in traffic and um, <laughs> I will tell you, as you were narrating the, that section of your book, even just me imagining the things that were coming to life. And I can't picture every bird you described and all of those things, but sure. sitting in traffic, I was, I was peaceful because my mind went to that place of just like, 
oh, I can kind of picture what that would look like. I can picture the birds and the sounds and some of those things. And so um, anyway, I, if you guys want a peaceful, yeah, I forget if that's chapter 10 or 11, but you know, some near, yeah. near the end of the book there, uh, if you want something to just kind of take your mind off of what's going on and, and, <laughs> and listen to uh, waking up with the birds, um, it, it, it was powerful to kind of bring down some of you know the stresses of driving. Uh, I'm going to read Looks one like more chapter 11. If it helps you any, I'm, I'm realizing the chapter was called embodied peace. Yes. And that's where I started the chapter that way. Yes. I loved it. It was great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> one more verse. And then I got a final question for you. Uh, John 14, 25 to 27. And um, you, you, you talk about verse 27. I'm going to go a few verses earlier and this is this is Jesus talking as he's getting ready to leave. This is kind of his one of his final sermons to his disciples. And he says, all this I've spoken while still with you. Uh, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. I'm going to remind you of everything I have said to you. And this is what you focused on. And I love this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And again, this is Jesus actually on the way to the cross. And this is one of the final messages he has for us. Would you compare, contrast the peace that God leaves, that Jesus leaves, left with us, that is currently with us, versus the giving the way the world gives? So I'd love you to kind of juxtapose those two. And if you want to bring the Holy Spirit into this thing, uh, that's why I love that. that couple verses earlier. Uh, yeah. Give me your thoughts on that. Thank you. Yes. Well, I love that image. And, and I realize that um, based on that passage you've read, so often my prayer has been, I wanted God to give me the kind of peace that the world gives. Mm -hmm. I wanted God to give me a situation that was utterly conflict-free, uh, had no troubles, I wanted him to fix everything that I felt was wrong. That's the peace I wanted him to give me. And that's understandable. Fair enough. You know, I'm not going to argue with wanting that. But we do live in a world where there is trouble. Man, has our world been full of trouble these last few years. Mm -hmm. So if your peace is only finding some way of being in the absence of trouble or conflict or something else unpleasant, you're going to be hard-pressed to have any peace. When Jesus says, my peace I give you, I think of that as Jesus, in a sense, saying, I am peace with you. And the spirit I am going to send as I depart is a spirit of peace. My father is the God of peace. I am the prince of peace. Like, we are peace. Our presence is peace. And so the peace of God, in a sense, is God's own peaceful presence, always, always, always with us. And so that peace arises from within us, where Christ has made himself at home in our hearts through our trusting. Yeah, that peace is with us because God is everywhere, including in my troubling circumstance right now. So I think of you know, the peace that is an absence of something unpleasant is pretty unreliable. The peace that is the presence of a God of peace, a Prince of peace, that is constant and steady, and you can count on that. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's that's the contrast as I see it. And that's that's what I'm trying to practice. As I said earlier, my worry is practicing the absence of God. It's imagining all these horrible things without much God and God's care and God's power in the midst of it. But yeah. uh, instead, I can practice the peaceful presence of God. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, I, I, I always love finding a promise that I can grab onto. You know, a promise that in those moments of uh, fear, anxiety, you, you fill in the blank. And yeah. to say, well, 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 hold on one second. You know, Jesus promised troubles. Is there will be troubles. <laughs> He's not, yep. not naive about it. I love it when the Bible is, 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 is real and realistic, but also to say, but wait a second, I'm giving you something more than you're going to get from the world around you. You're going you're, you're gonna to get troubles, but I'm going to give you peace in the midst of that. That will never leave you. It is promised to be with you. And it is always accessible to you. Now, you may not choose to access it, but you you do... You do have access to it. So, uh, yes. Yeah. I love that. All right. Here's my final question for you. Uh, what is something right now that is exciting you, that's encouraging you? Something that when you think about, you smile. It could be in your family. It could be a Bible verse you're reading. It could be a project, whatever, you know. So, what's, uh, what's exciting you right now? Well, probably a lot of things. I, I don't think you have enough time here at the end of your episode for me to list them. But one of the things, this is now more of a ministry um, thing, something we're working on and we'll launch middle of this next year, this coming year, uh, is something we're calling PACE. It is a 21-month uh, certificate in leadership and soul care. Oh. We have wanted to—we've been involved in this kind of cohort training for almost 30 years but we hadn't really launched something like this within our own organization, Unhurried Living, until now. And so it's going to be five retreats out here in Malibu, California. We'll be together four days, about every four months. We'll be practicing these practices that you and I have been talking about. I'll be sharing, you know, going deeper in some of the insights I've written about in my five books and my wife in her one book. And basically really trying to help people learn to do the sorts of things we've learned to do in caring for the souls of leaders. And as we're having people come our way, it has become very exciting to imagine that first retreat at that Ocean View Retreat Center we like to use. And just knowing that we're going to get a chance to walk alongside some others in this journey. That's maybe something that is most exciting me right now. Yeah, that's so that sounds that sounds amazing, not just yeah. the view, but also what we <laughs> what we get to build in us over over twenty one months. And I, I um, we I love that. I love the tw that is twenty one months. And in, in that we think that uh, so much in our society is you know give it to me now, flip the switch, make it change. Right. But uh, in all of the things we've discussed today, and in all of the good things that we cultivate in ourselves, it takes time. It takes practice. It, does. it takes being consistent with it. And uh, so that sounds amazing. Is there a, a website, a URL? Is there some place um, people can find out more information about that? Yeah, thank you. So you can find out about um, everything that we do on our website, which is unhurriedliving.com. The page that describes this 21-month training called PACE is just unhurriedliving.com slash PACE. 
And there's a panel on the homepage that talks about it as well. Okay. And there's a lot of details, all the, you know, all the nuts and bolts, but also the vision of it, what we, what we're expecting it to be. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And those will be in the show notes. We'll make sure they get there for everybody. So Alan, thank you so much for joining us on the Live Faith First podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation and everybody out there today, let's go live faith first. Thanks for listening to our Groundswell podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Reviews help other people find us, and we're trying to get the word out. We would love it if you would also share this episode on your social or your favorite text chain. Make sure to check out our weekly Groundswell videos at our YouTube channel. We make it easy for you to find all of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. It's all at Live Faith First. Even our website is livefaithfirst.org. So wherever you're searching for us, type in Live Faith First you'll find us there. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you in a few weeks. In the meantime, live faith first.